This episode of the New Music Industry Podcast is sponsored by Koji, the world's most powerful link in bio for musicians with over 200 free-to-use link in bio mini-apps. Grow your social media following, build your email list, get your music heard, and make money in minutes, all with Koji's easy-to-use mini-apps. Collect tips, sell cameo-type video greetings, stream your playlists, sell your merch, sell locked photos and videos, run giveaways, create and sell NFTs, crowdfund a new album or tour, and more. All in one place. Oh yeah, and it's free to use. No subscription fees, no upgrades required for extra customization, or to sell files and to access analytics. It's free. So do your music career a favor. Join the over 180,000 who are finding success with Koji. It's easy. Head to koji.to slash new music industry podcast. That's K-O-J-I dot T-O forward slash new music industry podcast and get your free Koji account today. It's David Andrew Weeb, and welcome to the New Music Industry Podcast. Only I'm not the only one here today. I have a special co-host joining me. She hasn't been on the show for quite a while, episode 125, so you may or may not remember, but either way, we want to bring on Monica Strutt. How are you, Monica? What's up, David? I'm really good. How are you? I'm great. You know, it's really good to hear your enthusiastic voice again on the show. I know a lot's been going on since we last had you on the show. Your expertise has grown by like leaps and bounds since then, which really just kind of goes to prove the theory that Australian entrepreneurs are very shrewd. (laughs) (laughs) My coach is one of them. Uh, James Schramko, as, as people may know. And yeah, I don't know what they're feeding you over there. Is it in the water? Is it the crocodiles? I don't know. We're just living on the edge, just hoping to not be eaten by a crocodile or beaten up by a kangaroo. So that's probably why. <laughs> right, right. You're always putting your life at risk. I like that. Yeah, every day. <laughs> nice. That's really what it's like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, not really. But I know, you know, there's bugs, there's there's rats, there's mice. And, uh, you know, depending on where you're living, that's not as much of a concern. I've been to countries like the Philippines and, and Malaysia where those kinds of things were a reality. You know, waking yeah. up with a gecko on your wall or a spider on the floor, that can freak you out if you're not used to it. Geckos are crazy. I was in Indonesia a couple of years ago with my old band um, playing some shows and we all just woke up and there was this very small but very loud gecko just on the wall and it was like Mm. nothing I've ever seen. It was translucent and yeah, just very loud. It was kind of cute though. Yeah, exactly. They're they're sort of a mix of cute and scary. Once you get yeah. used to them, not so bad. But at first it it freaked me out that there was just geckos on the roof and the ceiling and the walls in, in the Philippines. Yeah, it freaked me out at first. <laughs> but I was a kid. We want to kick things off with what's new in your world. And you know, you shared a little bit before I hit the record button, but I know lots has been going on. Things are opening up for you with your band. Share a little bit about, about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, David. So much has happened since we spoke last. Um, So about a year ago, I relaunched uh, my band. I'm in a rock metal band called The Last Tomato. And we relaunched with a brand new single and rebranded and really came at it from a very sort of uh, thought out plan because we had a lot of time in 2020 to not only record the EP, which we had to do in stints. So (laughs) whenever we weren't in lockdown, we would go record another song. Um, But we also had a lot of time to plan because that's pretty much all we could do. So we were finally able to execute that. And it has been, um, yeah, pretty much nonstop since. I was just saying um, we've now got a booking agent. So he's got us touring pretty heavily this year. I'm about to fly into state next weekend. We just played our first ever festival two weeks ago, which was absolutely nuts. And um, yeah, we're doing our first international support in May uh, for Black Veil Brides, which is very exciting. So um, yeah, as well as, um, you know, on the business side of things with my coaching, I've actually put together a program called Crush Your Next Release as part of my being in a band academy. So Mm. 
previously to kind of like go through like release strategy and whatnot, I would typically work with bands privately. But for the first time, I put that into a six-week course um, this year. So um, yeah, the students that went through that have finished up not too long ago. And yeah, I'm really like really proud of it actually. <laughs> Absolutely. That's super exciting. You know, I got to launch Elite Players All Access Pass Online Academy last year and we keep adding to it. And that was a super fun project. One of the first things I got to take on with my team. But Australian lockdowns, those were a little intense, weren't they? They were so intense. And I know that you have a lot of friends here in Australia, but I so do. you may have heard, but yeah, like in Victoria, where I'm from, um, was one of the harshest sort of lockdowns. So we um, we had like very harsh restrictions, uh, not only in 2020, but also in 2021. So even though we could play shows last year, we were still sort of on edge because we weren't sure whether they were going ahead or whether a snap lockdown would come into play. And, um, you know, for a couple of points in 2020 and 2021, we were doing three month stints at home. We weren't allowed to go more than five kilometers from our house. We weren't allowed to leave our house unless it was for shopping or exercise. And even then the hours that we could be outside were pretty limited. And thankfully my partner and I were living in a you know, a three bedroom house at the time, more in the suburbs. So we had a front yard and a backyard and lots of walking tracks around. So I was super, super grateful, even though it was still hard. Um, right now we were sick of the suburbs and we were sick of those four walls, as you can imagine, after two years of lockdown. So we've moved to the city and um, I've been in this apartment for a couple of months. And I was just thinking when I moved in here, I just could not imagine living in an apartment, um, especially a big complex like the one we're in during those lockdowns. So yeah, pretty crazy times. Yeah. Speaking of moving, I'm supposed to be out of my current space by the end of May. So I've got a couple of months to figure that out. Shouldn't be too bad, but it's funny. You know, I never had plans of sticking around here for two years plus and because of lockdowns and everything else. I mean, it would be ambitious to start performing here last year. I think there were there were certain bands and certain venues that were, but you know, I'm waiting until all the <laughs> restrictions and mandates are lifted. Fingers crossed. This is supposed to happen by April eighth here in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, I didn't realize you guys were still uh, having restrictions there. So um, yeah, <laughs> I can I can only imagine you're pretty excited to be able to play some music again because I know you're pretty nomadic as well. You like to move around. so <laughs> Exactly. Well, yeah, British Columbia has been the last to lift these restrictions. I think every other province at this point, long since or weeks ago, the, the mask mandates just lifted a couple of weeks ago here. So I feel good. I feel free <laughs> not wearing masks. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's been taking a little while. You know, it's been two years too. So things change, right? Like I came out here with the plan of traveling all over the world. And now I'm starting to think a little bit differently about that. Not that I'm not going to travel, but I, you know, things have to, they have to restore everything, all the countries and all the restrictions <laughs> before, before I want to get even too ambitious with that. So mm. as it stands now, I'm like, I might travel four or five times a year while keeping home somewhere around here. I'm actually looking in Coquitlam, living in Abbotsford right now. But yeah, I'm looking for a space in Coquitlam. Uh, be a little closer to to the action. <laughs> yeah, cool. It's yeah. exciting moving homes as well. I feel like it's definitely a chance for a fresh start, especially after something like a pandemic. So it's really, I don't know, we have different perspectives on things and it can be, yeah, it can be a very healthy thing as well to kind of like move the place where you've been living the past couple of years. It's true. And that's a super encouraging thing to say. But yeah, I don't expect it. It will be anywhere near the the trauma that the last move was uh, with my car breaking down. and <laughs> Oh, and yeah. Yep. Having to buy a brand new car and all, all that mess. Not even know if I'd have a place to stay. But, you know, I, I burned the bridges, not the bridges, the, the ships behind me. And it was just committed to being out here. And it all worked out at the end of it. So, yeah, I'm excited for a new space. And a couple of updates myself. You know, last time I did a show in this format with Wolf of Gaki Music. So, shout out to Wolf. I, I shared a little bit about looking for a, 
a chief marketing officer to handle some of the copywriting and SEO. And it's funny how these things work. I got connected with an insurance agent and he was, he was just literally networking. He said, in my business, you know, people don't necessarily buy the day ones. Like I'm not looking for insurance policies for my employees, but like months down the line or years down the line, they think of him and then, then they buy insurance policies. So he's just a networker and he's out there talking to a lot of people. And he said, I might know someone that could help you with SEO and copywriting and that kind of stuff. So he connected with, of all things, Cake Marketing in Calgary. And so I, I, I knew of this company already. I had a friend who was sort of looking to see what they could offer her for her skincare business. Uh, but anyway, they were really great. And, and they got on the phone with me and they shared some thoughts on what was going on with my website. And they're like, yeah, content cannibalization and all this other kind of stuff is certainly happening on some websites. But it seems like in your case, just identify when these algorithm changes happened and see what what you need to update. And he said, there might be some low quality content on your site. And then I remembered, oh yeah, you know, there was a period where we had a lot of guest posters and I had an editor, but he didn't really do a thorough job. And so there's there's some content on the site that's maybe just not up to snuff. So it really just, it sounded like, hey, you know, there's no point in going on a retainer. You can probably do all this yourself and your team. And so that's that's the direction we've taken with that. Obviously, it is a time-consuming thing. Like, I don't know how much you've done with with that sort of stuff, content and SEO, Monica, but I'm sure you do have a frame of reference for if you had 800 posts or 900 posts on your website, what that would look like. Absolutely. I actually have not heard of the term content cannibalism, but I can wow. kind of uh, sort of wrap my head around what it what it is. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, SEO is definitely not my specialty by any means, but um, I know it's important. <laughs> I do yeah. know a little bit about it, but um, yeah, 800 posts, that's so many posts to go through. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to go through one by one. Content cannibalization. Yeah. I should definitely define that because there could be listeners who are going, huh? Even people who know SEO. And and the whole thing is you could have multiple posts about the same topic. And then after a while, Google just doesn't know which one to rank. Mm. Is it the most update one? Is it the most thorough one? Uh, and so that kind of thing can happen when you have a really big website, but apparently not a concern for me as of yet. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely good news. And so shout out to Cake Marketing as well. Thanks for your help with that. And we're moving forward with everything. So yeah, moving into today's main content, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. And I know that you'll be able to contribute a lot to this as well, Monica. And the first thing is the, the five layers of independent music success. This is one of those things that almost came to me like in a flash of inspiration, as some things are known to do. It's like you you read, you listen to different things, you watch different things, and after a while, some of that starts to congeal and your brain makes connections. With the five layers, it you know, I have it drawn out and it looks a little bit like a pyramid, but we all have positive and negative connotations associated with pyramids. So I just, I prefer the term layers in this case. And the first or most foundational layer to all of it is sort of principles and mindset. These are the things that really never change. And as we begin to advance and look through the different layers, this is going to start to make a lot more sense as to why that's so important. But having a strong mindset in music. We all know that we're going to get a lot of no's. We're going to get some rejection. Things aren't always going to go our way. And the thing that's sort of going to save us and all that or keep us going is really reminding ourselves of our purpose and our mission and sticking to the principles that are unchanging, things that are true about your music career, regardless of how things change, the one thing that you can count on. I love that you have this as the first layer of I mean, speaking of cake marketing, I mean, this is kind of like your cake <laughs> of marketing. Yeah. yeah. Um, knowing your why is one of the most important things, in my opinion, in having success in any field, but especially a really unconventional and quote unquote difficult field like music. 
And funnily enough, when I was creating this Crush Your Next release course that I mentioned um, earlier, the first module is about finding your why. What's that deeper reason? Because the thing is, having success Mm. in the music industry takes a very long time. Even people that you think have had some sort of overnight success have been working at it for 10 plus years on average. And so if you don't have a really, really, really good reason or sort of bigger mission at large as to why you're pursuing this path, you're going to find it very difficult to stick with it long enough to see the fruits of your labor. So I really love that this is, uh, yeah, the very first layer. You know, my involvement with music stems many years back now, but composing and, and sort of creating mood or atmosphere music was something that I started in 2009. And at the time, they were just part of my YouTube videos. Didn't think a whole lot about it. It's just that I had these interests that were starting to converge a little bit. Interest in music, interest in video games. At one point, I thought I was going to be a video game composer. And 12 years later, and which is last year, composed a, a score for a short. I ended up winning three awards last year and then best original score. And then it won one more this year. So it, what was the trajectory? It took me 12 years to become an award-winning composer, earning just a few little INDB credits along the way. Nothing crazy. A little bit here as an actor, a little bit here as a composer. And, and then 12 years later, you know, something showed up. When I finished working on the music, I was like, this could be the best thing I've ever worked on. And I really don't know. And then four awards later, it's like, I'm forced to admit that it was the best thing I'd ever created to that point. Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations on that. I actually wasn't aware that you won those awards. So that's amazing. So good. Yeah. Those were definitely recent developments and they've been happening as I've been going on my my journey with the year-long leadership program. So you just never know where the yeah. results are, when and where the results are going to come from. But I think if I was to say anything about principles, mindset, perseverance, right, sticking to it, it would be that you you don't you might think today I should be an award-winning composer and be five years into it, but you don't know that seven years later is when that recognition is going to start to come. So Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I can just share some of my why, um, just so yeah. there's an example. I mean, and I, I have a, a fairly typical story, <laughs> I guess. Um, but, you know, when I was younger, I, I mean, I've been writing lyrics since I was about eight years old, nine years old, like full songs, verse, chorus, structures and whatnot. Mm. Um, and I always found it super cathartic, but especially, you know, when my parents divorced when I was about eight, um, and then there was a whole bunch of, you know, stuff that happened in, you know, my adolescent years, obviously adolescent years are difficult for everyone, but I had a lot of family sort of stuff going on pertaining to, you know, my parents' separation and divorce, you know, I felt very alone. So I turned to music and I have so many vivid memories of just putting on a CD at the time and just pouring through the liner notes of the bands that I was discovering. At that time, it was like 80s rock bands like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and not that you could say Motley Crue's lyrics are particularly deep, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, just enjoying that. And well, I mean, you know, I really enjoyed Axl Rose's like songwriting, of course. Um, so I, yeah. I particularly loved <laughs> his lyrics, you know, no comment about who he is as a person, but, um, you know, and then the excitement of all those bands that I was discovering. I mean, they were totally before my time, but as a teenager, just, you know, that sort of theatrical vibe was something that I really enjoyed. And it gave me a lot of hope as to what kind of lifestyle I could have and one of traveling the world and, um, you know, expressing myself in, you know, in ways that weren't necessarily conventional. And so, you know, music really was my best friend through some of the most difficult times. And given the fact that I'm a writer, I feel like it's my responsibility almost, or just something that I feel, uh, really passionate towards is, 
being that same sort of pillar for others that may come across my music. So that's the bigger reason why. And of course, like you also come up with, you know, I I feel like sub reasons. So the bigger reason is like generally to help people I find, but also, you know, touring the world and expressing yourself creatively and having a freedom sort of lifestyle. That's also my reason of pursuing music and not working a desk job. So um, yeah, I've definitely been holding on to that. Never like, you know, in those times where you're kind of doubting whether, you know, this path is for you, which inevitably happens a million times. Um, whenever that's happened for me, I always think back to like my 16 year old self <laughs> jamming in a garage with just so much hope and vision for the future. And, um, I honestly think that she would be totally in awe of where I am now, even though I've still got so much, so much to go. So I think that that's, um, also something that can be really helpful, uh, when thinking about your why and your mission and, you know, whether you want to keep going on this pathway. I really love that example. Thank you for sharing that. And for me, like, even though it might not be quite as specific, I've just always found that inspiration is at the core of what I do. And I haven't necessarily been able to go a whole lot deeper into that. But, the, you know, the Zig Ziglar quote, if you help eno- enough other people get what they want, you can have anything you want, has really just been exemplified through my life, I think. So that's been my core purpose and mission for as long as I can remember. I'm also a big fan of uh, hair metal. Although, you know, Eddie Trunk kind of said hair metal might be a derogatory term given that it sort of still exists. It has survived, right, as a genre. And now it's kind of lives on in the spirit of melodic rock and a variety of other genres, metal, obviously. So I don't know what the correct term to call that is, but but me too. Like a huge, huge fan of that stuff. Van Halen, Extreme, Harem Scarum are all really big influences on me. And I don't know if you could tell listening to my music, just given that so much of my music is acoustic. Some of it's acoustic and some of it's electric, but yeah, you might not be able to tell. Yeah, I didn't know that. But I mean, I think, you know, a lot of a lot of the time people just call it sort of 80s rock or 80s metal now. Yes. Uh, even though a lot of people are still very influenced and play sort of a similar style of music. Well, that's right. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't escape Eddie Van Halen as a guitarist. So. And <laughs> nor does anyone want to. <laughs> that's right. There's no one that's come along that's been as innovative since. Not saying there couldn't be. Uh, there's been some excellent, excellent players coming out of every country now. I'm no guitarist, so I can't speak with any <laughs> sort of authority on that. I just enjoy and <laughs> I just write the the melodies, the vocal melodies. <laughs> well, I can appreciate that. It definitely sounds like you you found your passion and your strength. And the the next layer of the five layers is experience. Experience is incredibly valuable in pursuing success in music because as you write more, you become a better writer. As you sing more, you become a better singer. As you perform more, you become a better performer. So experience serves us in a lot of different ways as we seek to build a career. You may not need all the talent in the world to find success, but you still need something. You need some kind of X factor that's going to make you stand out and have people take notice of what you're doing. And then sort of the flip side of experience is that we can make a lot of assumptions about what is true that actually isn't true. Like we could say, hey, we played this bar last time and it drew a crowd of 50. So therefore, next time we play, we should be able to draw a crowd of 60. And then there's a lot of factors or elements you may not know about that kind of makes that not true. There, you know, maybe the venue shuts down. Maybe the venue doesn't send their email to their email list. Maybe the marketing doesn't connect with people. Maybe it rains that day and people don't want to come out. In Canada, a hockey night (laughs) uh, might affect attendance. So there's all these things that experience informs us that is helpful. And then there's times when we can't rely on experience that we actually have to rely on principles and mindset. Otherwise, we'll be disappointed. I think a big part of that is also gathering enough data to make, you know, predictions such as how many people are coming to a show. It's all well mm-hmm. and good to play, you know, a single launch or something like that and draw 150 people um, 
and pull a really big crowd, but that's not going to be necessarily the norm for you because if you're going really, really hard promoting that single launch, of course, you're going to get more people there. So a lot of the time what happens is exactly what you said. I mean, you can pull 50 or 60 people you know, to one show and maybe 100 to another. It's about sort of what's the average. Um, and of course, that's hopefully going to keep increasing as you get more experience and play more and more and, and get more exposure and um, your reputation grows. So it's just about having the right amount of data, I guess, to be able to make those sorts of predictions. Really great point. And another question is, what do you do with disappointment? I'm sure you've run into that, Monica. So what do you do when things don't turn out the way you thought they would? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this happens all the time. Um, I mean, disappointment happens all the time. As yeah. <laughs> bad as that sounds, it's kind of just part of it. Um, I think, you know, as artists, we hold ourselves to extremely high standards. And of course, our biggest love is always the songs that we write or the things that we create. And so whenever we perceive something as not going as well as what we would have liked, whether that be ticket sales or whether that be a launch of a new song or an album, um, we can be very, very hard on ourselves. For me, like, it's all relative. Uh, I like to set clear goals at the beginning of a release, for example, but they also have to be, you know, they have to be realistic, but also a bit of a stretch. There's a bit of a <laughs> sort of a fine line there. But oftentimes, I guess all of this to say, oftentimes, um, you know, the clients that I work with will be disappointed in how their release has gone. Um, for example, yeah. they might be I help a lot of artists who want to do their own PR campaigns um, and want to learn that skill and they want to, you know, they're not at the point where they really require hiring a PR company and spending thousands, um, especially not in the Australian market, which is pretty small. It's pretty easy to get features and whatnot yourself. The flip side of that is if you're doing your own PR, you don't have the relationships. So, um, yeah, I've definitely worked with clients who were disappointed in, you know, the fact that they didn't get radio play or they didn't get mm. certain features. Um, but looking at it from an outsider's perspective, they've actually done incredibly well. They've gotten a ton of features. Uh, they've gotten a ton of reviews and interviews. And just because they didn't get that specific thing that they wanted, they feel like it's been a failure. But when you actually take a step back and I find, you know, writing things down, for example, writing a list of every single feature you've gotten and how much your uh, Spotify streams have increased or your social media following has increased, seeing it on paper, it gives you a whole new perspective. So um, if you ever feel disappointed at how something's gone, try that. Try writing down <laughs> what you have achieved and it'll totally just change your mindset. I love that example a lot because PR is one of those things where artists often do assume a certain amount of coverage or success in the campaign, not really understanding the full extent of, of factors that could affect the performance of the campaign itself. And another big one too is like, you know, when people come to you disappointed midway through the campaign and you're like, well, you know, you kind of have to stick it out till the end because uh, a lot of the juice, for whatever reason, maybe it's the way the universe works, sort of shows up towards the end. It doesn't always show up early in the campaign. But yeah, I think managing, not just managing expectation, but actually being able to point to things at the end going, we got, you know, 10 results or 20 results or 30 results with this campaign is really powerful because I know last year, or perhaps it was the year before now, we spent a little over $1,000 on a PR campaign for, for an EP launch. And it was sort of an unusual concept in that it was Christian, but not Christian. It was, it was sort of being willing to challenge the convention of, of religion. It ended up getting a few, let's see, Spotify playlist placements, and we got a radio uh, interview with the antidote so that's syndicated out to 42 fm stations as i understand it and then we also got coverage or we got just a kind of a cliff note or footnote in, in ccm magazine so all told we were actually pretty happy with those results like sure we'd love to see more it would have been great to see something pick up and see more people embrace it and want to be a part of it and at the same time for us those were 
you know, results that we could be satisfied with. But I think, as you say, it really depends on your expectations. Like, what are you expecting from a PR campaign, especially if you're like a brand new band with barely any buzz or fan base? Absolutely. And I mean, oh my gosh, I could probably talk on this topic forever, but I'll try and (laughs) keep my last points short. I mean, first of all, you know, some musicians will get upset that no one's replied to their emails and... It's that always surprises me because having worked many years as a journalist and editor of uh, multiple, you know, music websites, you know, people are busy and it, you can't always expect a reply. Of course, you should follow up. Um, I, I mean, in saying that, I always tried to reply to every single person that emailed me, but not everyone is like that, and also others may be getting a ton more emails than I was. So that's the first thing. It's it's definitely not personal. Usually it's because people just don't have time. But also things can take off months after a release. I did a uh, podcast episode on this last week, but music is like evergreen content. It's mm. Once it's out there on the internet, it's going to live out there forever usually. So even though releasing music frequently is definitely a good strategy and and should be part of your overall plan, your older music is still going to be new to an audience who hasn't heard you before. So finding ways to get that older music in front of new people is also a good strategy. And one thing that happened to my band is after we released that first initial single last year, Hindsight, when we relaunched, that single just kept going for like months and then it would die down and we were like, okay, it's time to put out the next single. And then all of a sudden we got this really cool feature on one of the national radio stations here in Australia, like the biggest radio station here for, you know, for youth. And to get that feature three months after a release was absolutely not something that we were expecting. And um, yeah, I just um, wanted to mention that because Usually when when we feel disappointed with how something's gone, it's only a couple of weeks after the fact. And so you never know what can happen in future and who's going to pick that up. And um, that's also something that's really cool about the music industry is it can kind of take directions that you don't expect and be really positive. The creator economy is exploding and there has never been a better time to grow a loyal and passionate fan base to earn an income doing what you love to do. In the past, this meant the big headache of creating accounts on tons of different apps and platforms just to accept tips, set up locked content, sell merch, crowdfund your next project, create and distribute NFTs, and more. That's why Koji and their Link in Bio app store is a game changer. I'm a huge fan. Use their locked audio mini app to sell live recordings, old demos, extended versions of tracks, sample packs and loops, anything that doesn't live on Spotify. Use sell a service to sell remixing, overdubs, music marketing services, sell bars as a rapper or remote recording and editing services as an engineer, right on your link in bio. Add a Koji tip jar or love jar to receive donations from your fan base. Try their Music Links app to easily display all your streaming links in one place, just like the pros. Releasing a new project? They've got incredible free apps to engage audiences and build hype, like their Challenges mini-app, where your fans can compete in video challenges you create. Or try their Giveaway mini-app, where fans do promo for you on social for the chance to win something. I'm just scratching the surface here, so you should really go explore the Koji platform and their Lincoln Bio app store for yourself. It's free. Head to koji.to slash new music industry podcast. That's K-O-J-I dot T-O forward slash new music industry podcast. Especially those of you who are using an outdated featureless link in bio. Join the creator economy power wave today with Koji to create the life you love through music. Yeah, I like what you said about being people being busy as well. I think there's there's sort of this expectation that because we're so remote now and we can email anyone or text anyone or tweet anyone that they're just in the best mood ever and they're ready they're just waiting for you waiting for your text or waiting for your message and it's so often not the case you know and it might be excited to hear from you but timing still matters a lot i 
write 5,000 words per day, many days on a light day, it might be 3,000, 4,000 words. And so after, after you've exerted that amount of creative energy, sometimes it's like, how much do you really want to respond to 30, 40, 50 <laughs> emails? You know what I mean? And exactly. so, yeah, I, it's definitely being, being aware of that. It's like, I'm not ignoring you. And Generally, I do say that I take a week or two to get back to people, and sometimes it takes longer, unfortunately, but we're making an effort here, right? And and we do care. It's just more a thing of, yeah, realizing that people might have a lot going on. For me, the writing is not just, you know, part of it is writing books. Part of it is getting my authority and credibility and presence out there. And then a part of it is continually funding my business and and the various projects and work that I do. So it, it actually forms the foundation of a very critical component of, of my daily activity. And when you have things on top of that, it's like, yeah, busy doesn't even begin to describe it sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. The, the next layer is branding. And this piece could be easily missed in creating independent music success if the last few layers did not strike you as odd, this one might. And branding is sort of two things. I've discovered over the years, you have the external branding, which is your fonts, your colors, your logos, your website, your business cards. And then there's the internal part of it, which is your purpose, your mission, your reason for existing. And and in, in a way that does go back to principles and mindset as well. But if you have your internal brand figured out, your external brand comes together very quickly. If you have no idea your purpose for existing, then all the other components can be overwrought and hard hard to sort out. When you have your branding figured out, that's the really the number one thing. It may not be easy. It may not come together in a moment's notice or the snap of a finger. But when it does come together, it's going to make the remaining layers a breeze, a walk in the park, really. Yeah. And there's also personal branding. So Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a part of a group, and even if you're not um, thinking about how you, what makes you, you, um, as part of a band or a group or something like that, or even a business, um, that you share with other people, that's also really important. And essentially your personal brand is your reputation. And in the music industry, I find that, and let me know if you agree, David, I find Mm. that this is like an industry built on reputation and networking and your personal brand is kind of at the crux of whether or not you're able to do that successfully. Um, If you rock up to a gig and you're treating the sound guy like shit and you are rude and acting like a rock star, you're probably not going to be asked back. And, you know, the other artists that you're playing with probably won't want to work with you again. So, uh, not that I'm sure anyone listening would ever behave like that, but you know <laughs> we all know the types <laughs> that we wouldn't yeah. want to necessarily play a show with again. Of course, this comes down to like personal relationships and how much you click with people. But um, you know, at the very in thinking about just the basics of personal branding, uh, it's just like, are you professional? Are you cool to work with? Because in this industry, um, yeah, it's like. It's super important and typically people want to give bigger opportunities to those that they know will appreciate it and um, also people that are, you know, their friends who they can maybe give a leg up. So uh, I think it's really important. Yeah, it's foundational really, you know, not being a jerk <laughs> and and showing up on time and being a good hang and all that stuff does count for a lot. It does make networking and meeting people a lot easier. And, you know, it can go too far to the other side too. I I used to be more on the spectrum of a little too nice. And the challenge is people don't always know what to do with people who are genuinely nice and are willing to contribute and add value. (laughs) And so you you do sometimes have to find that happy middle, but at the same time, you don't, yeah, you definitely don't want to be a jerk. And more often than not, you know, you could have the skills and connections and everything else, but you're still going to be hired on your attitude a lot of the time. 
Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to say anything negative about the music industry, but for a lot of people, there's not a lot of money in it. And so, you know, one of the things that really is the advantage of working in this industry is, of course, we get to do what we love and have that freedom. And so, yeah, generally people just want to make every experience as enjoyable as possible. Um, So, there's definitely no room for the rock star anymore, for sure. I could talk endlessly about that because, yeah, there's many things in the music industry that make it a difficult one. And we may even touch on it with with the next topic uh, in the show that we have prepared. But yeah, there's in a way, there's a lot working against you. But then again, you were born into a world where a lot's working against you. And so it's just understanding these realities and trying to set yourself up, stacking your own deck as much as possible to be able to win. Love it. And then the next layer is marketing. So we could also call this strategy. And strategy is super important. It's one of those things that a lot of artists don't have. And I'm sure, Monica, in your experience, you've come across artists that don't have any kind of strategy figured out. The key point, though, is that if you have your branding sorted out, marketing gets to be a lot easier. You could start to consider dates that would be relevant to your brand. You could begin like release dates. You could begin looking at what sort of clothing would a band like this wear and why would they wear it in order to attract the type of fans and audience that they're looking to attract. Yeah, I definitely agree that branding does make marketing a lot easier because you kind of know your demographic. Well, you know yourself well enough to know that your audience is likely going to be people very similar to you. And so it does, yeah, it does make the marketing and promotional side a lot easier. Um, I mean, the thing that comes to mind, you know, when thinking about just marketing, obviously it's a huge topic, but the best way to market yourself is really to have high quality product. Um, Mm. I think that a lot of people sort of are looking for like tricks and shortcuts (laughs) and, you know, ways to get on like playlists and stuff like that. But they forget the sort of basics of it all, which is good music, good videos, good branding, high quality photos. I don't know. I I just feel like you, you teach people how to treat you and you also teach people how to perceive you as an artist. The best, the, like the most successful, like marketing tactic, I guess, that I found is just have a really good product, work with a good producer, have a professional video, and that will do volumes more than any sort of little trick or hack to get on a playlist or something like that. I didn't even use Facebook ads for the first couple of singles that we released last year Mm. uh, because we were in Facebook jail (laughs) with the ads platform. Um, So even though we wanted to, and out of you know, two singles, we got put on multiple festivals, international supports. We got signed to the biggest heavy music agency in Australia. Mm. We achieved all these really cool milestones, let alone, of course, grow the fan base, which kind of happens incidentally to all of that. And we didn't even use Facebook ads. So yeah, I guess that's that's kind of just the point I want to drive home is good marketing really starts with just having a good product and not being afraid to invest in that as well. Because if you don't invest in that, then um, you're really just adding kind of years onto your journey and achieving your goals. Yeah. I was just thinking back on the crowdfunding campaign we did years ago. I guess it was 2017. And we did utilize some advertising, but most of it was generated very organically. And the advertising side probably only generated like two donations out of the total. When you know what you're doing, the organic marketing side of things can really take off. And the other thing that I thought of was going to this conference in 2019. And one of the things that was really telling was with all these breakout sessions, we went to the Spotify one and that room was full to overflowing with people who were trying to figure out playlists and how to get their monthly listener counts up and everything else. You know, meanwhile, the the session on email marketing was scarcely t- attended compared to this this massive crowd that had turned out for the Spotify session. And, and I'm just like, yeah, it's good to learn about Spotify and streaming in general, but it's probably not going to be everything right? This goes back to your branding too. It's like, if you're really aware of who you are and who your audience is, then you also know 
where they like to listen to music and how they like to listen to music. And you can begin catering more to that. And rest assured, there's more income in that than trying to peak some algorithm. Yeah. Well, we can't control the Spotify algorithms. And also, as you said, not everyone's audience is there. So um, yeah. it's definitely something to keep in mind. And finally, we have tactics. And a tactic is something very specific along the lines of we send an email campaign to our fans every Wednesday, 1 p.m. PST. Like that's a perfect example of a tactic because it's something specific you're doing at a specific day of the week and in a specific time. Where it can go wrong is we talk a lot about tactics, right? These are the flashy, sexy things that are on every DIY blog that you can name Sometimes we just get distracted by them thinking, oh, that's the new thing. That's the next thing. That's what's going to work for me. It's going to be TikTok or it's going to be NFTs or it's going to be some kind of Facebook advertising campaign hack that someone else figured out. If we check it against our branding, we can actually make that decision as to whether or not it fits into our marketing strategy. But if we don't have that, then it's just a tactic sort of disembodied from the whole of who you are and your purpose and what you're out to accomplish. And so tactics by themselves don't hold the value. It's first, what is your branding? What's your Then what's your strategy? And then what's your to-do list, which is basically your tactics? Yeah, I think tactics are sort of just the icing on the cake. And I think the term disembodied is a really powerful <laughs> one because it's kind of how I see, you know, musicians who are relying too much on trying to hack these Spotify playlists or, you know, use Facebook ads in the wrong way to grow their audience. Um, mm. It's very separate from the core, which is your music and your branding and your overall mission um, and your long-term goals and that sort of thing. Um, but, I mean, tactics are good. They're yeah. sort of the thing that should be thought about last, though, um, for sure, exactly. which is why I'm so glad that you have them you know, sort of last on the list as like the smallest point in in the um, triangle cake <laughs> that yes, we built today. I love your, yeah, I love your explanation of that too. It's, you're absolutely right. Like tactics are much easier to figure out once you know the, the marketing and the branding of the whole thing. So each layer really complements the other is, is the point. And when you can't rely on tactics, then you can actually go all the way back to principles and mindset and recognize what's true about your situation or your, your, what you're out to accomplish. That's, that's the truth of any of the layers that are above principles and mindset. You can always return to principles and mindset to know what's true about you and the world and what you're out to accomplish. Like I love what you said about returning to those sort of foundational layers mm. because it's not something like everything that we've talked about today. It's not, then it's not necessarily once you have ticked these off the list, then that's just it. They'll be the same forever. I found that your branding can evolve, your overall mission can evolve, and it's. 100% something that you will need to return to every now and then. I've found myself as, you know, my band gears up for, you know, some heavy touring over the next, well, heavy for Australia. <laughs> um, <laughs> our cities are very far apart. So, yeah. um, you know, playing four shows on one national tour is fairly normal. But as we gear up to do a lot more shows than what we have been doing the past couple of years, you know, I found myself really having to check my mindset and check myself to make sure that, I really understand my identity as an artist because all of a sudden I'm supporting bands that are a lot further along than I am. And, you know, there's always that temptation to compare where someone else is at or, you know, the performance style even of someone else. And of course you can admire how other people do things and you can, of course, take elements. I mean, that's how we all create our own unique identity is taking little elements of what other people do and mixing them in with our own experience and vibe. But I've really had to check myself and uh, really ground myself in reminding myself who I am as an artist, what I'm trying to say, who I'm trying to speak to, uh, even down to looking at what I'm wearing on stage and really 
having a solid sort of tour wardrobe, I suppose, so I can really feel, um, yeah, just quite grounded in who I am and my own individuality as a musician. So I've even had to go back to those sorts of uh, mindset and branding principles just very recently. Um, Mm. And it definitely won't be the last time, I'm sure. Yeah, it probably won't be. That's the thing about really the funny thing about experience that I was recognizing too. You will change, right? Principles won't change, but you will. So you'll have a different experience of it or you'll think about it differently. Just like a five-year-old who might hear their parents say something and be able to kind of understand it, register it, but you would hear it completely differently as a 35-year-old thing you change but principles don't have to absolutely wanted to get into music distribution so you know why don't we start here with this what music distribution service did you use for your latest release monica sorry if you can hear a plane going by i live in the city now so (laughs) (laughs) just just slightly but there's one going over here right now too okay good i don't feel so bad now There are many music distribution websites out there, DistroKid, CD Baby, TuneCore, GyroStream, Ditto Music. There's an abundance of them, but they all essentially do the same thing, which is get your music out to streaming services so that people can discover them, hear them, enjoy, you know, your new single EP or album. In my opinion, they are much of a muchness, but we actually used um, DistroKid for our mm. latest releases. Originally, we used CD Baby just because um, that was kind of the main, the, the biggest one, I guess, when we were first starting out and what my old band had used when there was a lot less options available. Um, but we ended up switching to DistroKid. I liked some of their features a little bit better. And mm. yeah, I mean, they're cool. No complaints. Um, some Australian artists that I work with prefer to use uh, GyroStream, which is an Australian platform, Australian owned. And that's really cool too, to support you know a local company. I work with a lot of international artists. So um, yeah, I tend to recommend DistroKid, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. So basically you chose DistroKid based on the features, which is interesting. And I like that a lot. And you also made a really great point about, hey, Actually, all these guys are pretty darn similar in what they do, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. So there's here's the thing. There's a lot of energy exerted over this. And, and my top picks are on the blog. So I recently published Navigating the Music Distribution Minefield because I really understood that it was a pain point for an artist that I've been talking to recently. And that's really the foundation of this conversation as well. But I, I basically said, based on everything that I experienced, and I like to experiment, and I don't mind putting new music out there just to try a new music distributor. I don't mind being sort of the crash test dummy of the whole thing to kind of see how it goes. But CD Baby still comes out on top for me. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One of them is that it'll, they allow for pseudonyms. So you can have different artist names under one, one account. I couldn't do that with DistroKid. Hmm, and interesting. Yeah. Given that like I'm always experimenting and sometimes releasing comedy music and sometimes releasing compilations, sort of the ability to release music under different names or pseudonyms is pretty important to me. And sort of second and third place, they they sort of come in at about the same is Ditto Music and DistroKid. They both offer something very similar. Ditto Music now does, uh, it gives you a 30-day free trial as well, which is pretty generous. And mm. they have a pretty big reach as far as their digital service uh, partners are concerned. And then one to watch for me is TuneGo because there's now artists looking for, hey, you know, now that my music is distributed, what the hell do I do with it? How do I market it? And TuneGo is trying to bring some things under the same umbrella in terms of PR and marketing and advertising and NFTs to where, yeah, there's going to be an extra cost. There always is, but you could leverage some of their connections and some of their infrastructure to be able to immediately market your music which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen a couple of distributors sort of go that route. Um, GyroStream, the Australian company, also has you know add-on features where you can pay them 
I think it's like $250 and they'll service your music out to media. But having worked in music media myself for pretty like reputable uh, publications, I've never had any (laughs) music from up and coming artists serviced through a distributor. So I just am a little bit cautious of how much effort goes into finding blogs or music websites or magazines, radio stations that are actually relevant to the individual artist who's paying for this service um, and how much is sort of like a bulk mail out uh, sort of deal. So yeah, I'm just a little bit cautious about that, but I'd be very curious specifically about like the NFTs um, and learning more about how uh, TuneGo is incorporating that sort of service into its product range. Definitely, because a lot of artists don't necessarily have the additional time to go and be like NFT creators. And that's sort of what it takes to be like a really successful NFT creator anymore is you got to think of it like a full-time job. So artists who are making music and want to make that their life or or even just a hobby, <laughs> a hobby level artist still has a lot of work cut out for them. It's going to struggle to make a real go of the nfts whereas if it was just one one of many revenue sources it could really add to the whole of of the experience of playing in a band and having that as an additional revenue stream is, is See, a pretty this is why this is why i'm in a band with three boys who are <laughs> really really <laughs> smart um in those Thanks. fields so i can just uh you know i know that nfts is something that they're thinking about so i'm like good i'll handle the stuff that I love, which is the social media and the marketing and the PR, and you guys can look into NFTs and manage that. I don't know how solo artists do it, honestly. Oh, exactly. And the Web 3.0 thing, I mean, it's coming, it's here, but it's yeah. it's still the same thing that happened with the dot-com crash and the dot-com boom and all that. It's something new. It's exciting. There's a ton of hype around it. And until that sort of smoke clears away, we don't actually know what we're looking at yet. Lots of people claim to be experts. They have great things to share. I've been to those talks too, just as anyone else has on Clubhouse. But I, I do think, yeah, once the smoke clears, we're going to get a better sense of what, what the future of NFTs is going to be. At this point, we still don't know. Absolutely. I mean, just a couple of years ago, everyone was saying, you know, musicians need to get on TikTok. Um, but you know, in 2020, when we were all hanging at home, scrolling on TikTok till 3am in the morning, um, that's when we kind of got a feel for actually how that platform can be used to market music because it's so different. So, um, this is that, but on a whole new level, I feel. Oh, it is. Yeah. Cause TikTok, you could at least tie it back to something familiar like Vine. Mm. It basically came and replaced Vine. Whereas NFTs, the only context that we sort of have for it, oftentimes, unless we're willing to dig deep or look, is cryptocurrency. And according to the government, cryptocurrency is evil and it's used by terrorists. So (laughs) that stops a lot of people from looking any further. Whether or not there's any truth to that, I don't know, but I have not seen, I have not seen it, right? So (laughs) in the communities I interact with, I have not seen that sort of activity. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's interesting. We'll see what happens. We'll see. And the one thing I personally don't like about some music distribution, and some people are going to feel differently about this, and that's perfectly okay, is, you know, we're going to pull your release from sites after X, Y, Z condition is met. I don't like that. I want my release up forever. Let's say DistroKid, if you don't make your payment, it's a small payment. You're not going to miss it. It's going to be all right. But if you never make, if you don't make a payment one year, your music's going to be down. And there's also distributors. I'm pretty sure it was Reverb Nation. Oh yeah, we're going to keep your music up for a year, but after that, you know, you got to renew. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm not as much of a fan of those. If I'm being 100% honest. That said, many of those solutions are still very affordable. So nothing to get too worked up about. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's something personally that we need to overthink. I think just if you're concerned about which option to take, just pick one and you can always change it later. (laughs) You know, I I really love that because I think it it really 
cuts to the core of this this topic because I was talking to an artist who was really worried that do music distributors even care? Well, yes and no, right? Like they have a lot of clients to serve. They always have to distribute a lot of music every single day to different digital service providers or partners. So, you know, you pay a small fee, really, realistically, to have your music on 20, 30, 40, 50 different platforms. And these are the majors. These are the big ones everyone knows. Amazon, Tidal, Spotify, Google Play. And and all you have to do is pay a small fee to have your music on all these platforms. And I think sometimes that gets lost, you know? And so we have to, it's frustrating and I understand it. The music industry is very siloed. You can't just distribute your music and claim all of your royalties. It doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. That's why we need PROs and uh, performance rights organizations. And that's why we need Sound Exchange and uh, other companies that that collect the different sources of royalties that you have publishing and so on. So I, I get that it's frustrating. I think the point is to just gently separate distribution from marketing. And if you can begin to make a plan for both, you're going to be a much happier person. If all you do is distribute and kind of hope for the best, then you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah. I mean, distributors have absolutely no waiting on how well your music does in the market. Has yeah. They have nothing to do with how many streams you end up getting, what playlists you get on. In my experience anyway, I've never like I've never had an experience or even friends bands that are way, way, way more successful than I am. Um, they've never mentioned anything about have, their distributor having anything to do with the success of the music. It's all to do with marketing. Right. So just, yeah, as you said, having your music out there and distributed is yeah, very separate to marketing. So yeah, there's really no negative consequence to just picking a platform. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I've very rarely heard of horror stories. I've read some online about TuneCore. Granted, every company that's major or is well-known or has been around a while is going to have some negative reviews attached to them. It's just inevitable. <laughs> you yeah. think McDonald's is the most popular fast food chain in the world. Well, they probably have some of the most negative comments about them regardless. Yeah, they're doing us a service. It's um, you know something that is just a required part of being an independent musician as is um, you know, royalty collection uh, societies. It's um, could you imagine if every single independent artist or even signed artist in the world was trying to contact each one of these streaming platforms individually? They'd be yeah. every time they released a song as well. It's just impossible. So, um, so yeah, it's just part and parcel of it. Right. You actually have to have infrastructure. I, that's going to be another kind of hard thing for some people to accept. But in theory, it looks like you can distribute your music yourself in practice. If you don't have the right licenses or the right structure for your business, you can't. So, yeah, so yeah you kind of just have to utilize a music distributor. I have heard some things about you know royalties coming out late. Yes, it does take a while. I think it well, I don't know. It takes something like three months for you to start to see what happened. And we're just starting to see some of the things that happened in December and January with streaming royalties. There might be some more up to date if I were to go to the accounting dashboard now. But point is, it does, yeah, it does take a while. And there are some things to look forward to. You know, if the Web 3.0 thing really does work as it's supposed to, then we'll have royalties played on the blockchain and it'll be instantaneous and it'll be right away and be able to see it right away. So that may be coming, right? A time when things are way more efficient with royalty collection and payout. But as it stands now, it's perfectly understandable that if they have to collect this data from all these different platforms and compile it and put it into a report, that it's going to take a while. Absolutely. And i much rather wait three months and have a uh, sophisticated platform do that for me than ever try and attempt something like that myself. It would just not even be possible. So yeah. 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 Why would you invest your energy there when you could put it back into marketing or something more productive? Absolutely. Well, that's my thoughts on music distribution. Did you have anything else on this? No, I think, um, I, I guess uh, my thoughts are just like pretty pretty simple um, in terms of yeah. uh, my philosophy is really just if you're not sure, just pick one. And, you know, as I said, you don't have to stick with that forever. We started off with CD Baby and 
Um, I think we have one song on CD Baby at the moment. Um, we pulled the rest of our older music down when we rebranded um, and then we moved over to DistroKid. But who knows? We may migrate over to another platform at a later date if we can be bothered, if we feel like that platform can give us something different. But for now, it just hums along in the background. It gives us our pre-save page whenever we're releasing a single without having to use a third party for that. So pretty happy. but you know, choosing a distributor, I guess, just isn't really going to have a crazy, crazy impact on your music career or anything. I mean, that's why I didn't waste a lot of space on it in my blog post. There's also people who've done a better job of like comparing 30 or 40 different distributors and and they'll tell you everything (laughs) there is to know. I just don't know if it's worth investing that level of of mental energy. So that's part of navigating the music distribution minefield is cutting through the crap and hopefully getting your music out there faster. Yeah. Trust me. There are Way more fun things and important things to focus your energy on, especially uh, if you're an independent artist. 100%. 100%. All right. Well, wrapping up this episode, we look forward to hearing from you. And the best way to reach me is often on Twitter or BitCloud. I like hanging out on BitCloud too, but I'm always on Twitter. So I do check in daily a couple times a day usually. And Monica, how about you? Yes. Come find me on Twitter as well. I'm at Monica Strutt, M-O-N-I-C-A-S-T-R-U-T. I'm also the same handle on Instagram. So yeah, just come hit me up on either of those two platforms. I would absolutely love if, yeah, if you told me um, that you found me through this podcast. So Awesome. Well, it was really great hearing your voice again, Monica, and thanks for co-hosting this episode with us. And don't be a stranger. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. You too, David. Great to catch up. All right. Thanks so much. So we look forward to hearing from you on our social channels, but if you're more of an email kind of person, hey, I get it. You can send us an email to musicentrepreneurhq at gmail.com and leave your questions and comments. We're happy to feature them in a future episode. That's musicentrepreneurhq at gmail.com. This has been episode 266 of the New Music Industry Podcast. I'm David Andrew Weeb, and I look forward to seeing you on the stages of the world. Thanks for listening. The opening theme, closing theme, and closing segment ambient music was created by Brian Bob Young. If other music was used in this episode, it's credited in the show notes at musicentrepreneurhq.com. Please leave us a rating and review in iTunes to help us spread the word about the show. Thank you.